Welcome to the Embracing You podcast with your host, Eric Pothen. We are all on our own unique journey to discovering ourselves. Each episode, I will help you navigate the journey within to reconnect with and discover the innate love you have for yourself. This podcast will cover topics from self-love to eating disorders and body image to mental health and to overall well-being. My goal is to help you honor and embrace yourself so you may live your most authentic life. Let's dive in. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Embracing You podcast. I hope that you all have been incredibly well since the last time we were in this space together and that your new year is off to a great start. Uh, Today's podcast conversation will feature Tori, and I discovered Tori via social media. Um, And in today's episode, we talk about a lot of things uh, related to eating disorder recovery, and she shares her wisdom um, and the things that she has learned in her own recovery journey so far. So I don't want to say too much here. So without further ado, let's dive in. Well, hello, Tori. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. I'm so excited to be here and talk about some super important recovery and mental health topics. So ready to get started. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being willing to be on uh, tonight's podcast or today's podcast episode. Um, Just a little bit of background for listeners about how I found you. Um, is that you actually had popped up as I was scrolling through my own Instagram feed. And, um, you know, it always makes me really excited when I stumble across another account that is in the space of eating disorder recovery and advocacy work. And I saw one of your reels and I clicked on it, really resonated with the content that you were producing in there. And I then went to your actual profile and looked through a lot of your other material as well. And I was like, this is an account I need to follow. And this is someone that I really feel like I need to reach out to and get to be uh, on this podcast to share a little bit about her story um, and just all of the wisdom that, you know, you innately have within and being in this space of recovery. So just a little bit of content for, for listeners here um, before we dive into our conversation. So To start today's or tonight's conversation off, if you wouldn't mind just telling us a little bit about yourself and maybe what was your inspiration for you to share your story via social media? Yeah, so I am just now, I turned 26, which I still feel like a baby. So saying I'm 26 feels weird, but I basically started this journey when I was 19 years old and I quit my college sport. I developed an eating disorder shortly after because I basically just had an ankle injury that ended my career. I didn't really know what to kind of do with the rest of my life. I'd identified as an athlete for so long. And I just kind of looked around me and was like, okay, what's going on? And so I I had already kind of identified with food and body stuff being an athlete. And so just naturally, I think I kind of continued that that connection to food in my body and unfortunately developed a pretty severe eating disorder that continued for about five years. I thankfully sought out some help last year. Um, And 2023 was really my year of healing. So in May, I went to an intensive outpatient program a couple states away. I actually picked up my whole life and kind of moved there for three months just to really invest in my healing. 
And um, so I went to a Bellator Recovery Center. It's a fantastic, I highly recommend it, recovery center in Kansas. And basically from day one, I started my Instagram. Initially, it had just kind of been something to hold me accountable because for some reason, I just didn't think I could recover without that accountability. And I didn't feel like I had it from anyone around me having been, you know, three states away from home. So I was like, let's just connect to this random social media audience and see how it goes. And then, you know, six months later, I had 20,000 followers. And I was like, what is going on? Like, I in no way was intending to it to turn into what it did. But I really have felt so grateful for the opportunity to connect with this amazing community of other recovery creators, other people who are in deep in their eating disorders and people who are deep in the recovery process and just kind of meet everybody where they are. Um, and so that's how kind of Grow With Tori was started. And right now I'd say 2024 continues just to be a year of growth. That's still where we're at. We're up to, I think we have 30,000 people in this community now. And and started some online support groups. I've got a blog going. I'm truly just, I love it when people call me their recovery big sister because like, that's what I wanted. Like that is who I want to be for other people. I get nothing from doing what I do other than sometimes feeling shitty about myself from some comments that people make <laughs> and, and then feeling really good about myself when people make good comments and say I impact their life. But yeah, I mean, I'm truly just Kind of, kind of using my vulnerability, I guess, to meet people where they are and kind of grow with them. So that was a long way of saying I'm super grateful to be where I am. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think, you know, what I've also learned in stepping into this space of advocacy work is that it's the vulnerability that connects us with one another. It's the vulnerability that, you know, other people can latch on to because when we are vulnerable, we add emotion into whatever it is that we are sharing. And it's the emotion that we can connect with and resonate with. I feel like when we get into that space of vulnerability and sharing our story and our experiences, right? Um, and so I think that's why so many people are connecting with the content that you're creating is because of that level of vulnerability that you are achieving and pouring out into the things that you are producing. So that makes sense to me why you are receiving these wonderful heartfelt responses from other individuals um, with the things that you are sharing with others via social media. Yeah. And I also want to, I mean, just the point about vulnerability. So I wasn't always this way, to be honest, I do have a lot of like trauma and, and different things that I've had to work through, but I have found the beautiful thing that recovery has given me is the ability to be vulnerable with myself and vulnerable with other people and not thinking that that's something that makes me weak. And I know that sounds really cheesy because everyone's like, oh my gosh, be vulnerable, like step out of your comfort zone. And, but, but truly like I didn't know that connecting with my feelings and not suppressing them and trying to control them is so much of what recovery is. So I think that's a really great gift it's given me is that vulnerability. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when we are in this space of recovery as well, vulnerability, I really believe is like also recognizing you can make mistakes as a human being. I feel like when we are living with our eating disorder, it feels almost as if we have this like huge bronze shields like in front of us the entire time, right? Like we are so cut off from ourselves and our emotions that we just hold this armor 
up against us to like help us feel like we are invincible. And the eating disorder voice helps us think we are invincible because we continue to listen to it time and time again and find that sense of control that it just craves and wants to latch on to. And so I think when we enter into that space of recovery and we are able to once again be vulnerable with ourselves, that's when the shield comes down. And that's when we get in touch with those more tender parts of ourselves that we haven't experienced in such a long time. Oh my gosh, that was so beautiful. We need to like make that a quote and put that somewhere. <laughs> I love that. I really love that. Because I think a lot of people in recovery can relate to that as well. Because I know I talked to you a little bit earlier about I always felt like there was this weight in my chest. Um, it just I could almost locate like where that control was centered. And it was this feeling of tightness all around my body. And I think recovery has also taught me that, that, you know, your body holds these emotions and like my body physically was holding the eating disorder. And when you strip away that eating disorder, or at least fight it, it really does take a weight off your shoulders. And, it, and it's a certain amount of freedom that like I haven't experienced before. I didn't even experience really before my eating disorder because I just didn't have that awareness. So I am grateful as well. Like there is that taking off of the control, relinquishing it and an increase in awareness of my body in a, in a different relationship with my body that I didn't have before. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, listeners of my podcast, you know, I say this in almost nearly epi in every episode, but awareness truly is key in any sort of work that we do on ourselves as individuals. And I think you said that so beautifully is like, you know, when you're in recovery, you are reconnecting with your body, you're reconnecting with your emotions, the fact that you were able to kind of recognize that you had this tightness in your chest, right? Like, our bodies speak to us every day. And in these physical signs, it's trying to communicate something to us, right? And so I don't think we're able to become as embodied as we are, if we are in that space of recovery, right? Because when we are in that space of recovery, it's all about healing that connection between body and mind and learning to trust our body more in what it communicates to us on a daily basis. Yeah, I love that. I And, and I've definitely registered that a lot. I feel like so much of my work in recovery has been even working towards that intuitive eating, right? Like it is that connection between body and mind. And, and so much of what you do early on recovery is trying to create structure so that you can slowly, slowly, slowly build up to that intuitiveness that the eating disorder has broken apart for, you know, for me for so many years. And it's a hard thing to relearn, but it's definitely worth relearning. Yeah. And it you know, that comment right there, it, it just, it makes me want to point out to listeners too, of like, when people enter into recovery, it's not just something as simple as, oh, you receive treatment. And then in two weeks, you are fully recovered and healed, right? Like, being in recovery is an active process that takes time. And I think this is my own personal belief, but I really think being in recovery is lifelong. I think, you know, it's something that we will always have to know how to navigate when it comes up. And I think, you know, being able to work with that when it comes up really kind of distinguishes an individual from being in recovery versus still struggling with a full out eating disorder. Um, and so I just, it baffles me when people, you know, say just eat. 
it is not that simple to just start to eat more food when you're entering into recovery. Um, and I think that's one of my biggest pet peeves almost when, you know, at least when I was struggling and people started to voice their concerns to me, that was the number one thing that they all said to me, you need to start eating more. Well, it's not just that simple, right? There are so many, it's so multifaceted, right? Where, you know, it's, it's physical, right? Where you are noticing physical changes in your body. You, it is uh, psychological because the eating disorder voice is now starting to sneak in and, and take over your, your true self and it's in their thoughts and replace it with these completely distorted and ludicrous thoughts that do not serve our physical and mental health. But yet we latch onto that because that's where we find the control. Yeah, that's so well said. And I, I think for anyone fighting against an eating disorder, I am just impressed and so proud of those people in general, because this is like one of the only diseases that exists and is completely the opposite of what we have been conditioned to believe by our society is the right way of living, the right state of being. We're taught to always go harder, to always push ourselves more, to make it to the gym every day, to eat as little as possible, you know, to look a certain way. And recovery is truly every single day hearing that noise and not listening to it and doing the exact opposite when every ounce of your body wants to listen to it and all of your friends are doing it knowing that you can't do that because it doesn't serve you and truly that's been one of the toughest things about recovery and if I didn't have the mantra comparison as the thief of joy I don't know if I could get through it but that mantra has helped me a lot (laughs) Yeah. So how else do you then try to avoid listening to that noise from society when we kind of are talking about all of these things that you had just mentioned, all the messaging it gives us on a daily basis? I think really, it's just acknowledging that that's great for the rest of society. But I am not society. Like I am my own individual complex human being. And what serves me is going to be completely different than what serves someone else. I think also what comes with that is knowing there are a community of people who who don't live in that way. That's just kind of what we're pushed. And we're pushed that because diet culture and fitness culture is like a multi-billion dollar industry. So of course, as a consumerist society, we're going to be pushed that narrative. But that's not the narrative that we have to kind of agree with or live by. And so I think just tuning in, I always go back. I always say tune in. What is important to me? What are my core values? What do I know is going to make me happy and me healthy? Because I know if it if I listen to that noise, my OCD brain goes to obsession. And so it for me, it's really figuring out and navigating what works for me. And that's not to say, you know, I'm, I'm not a, I try to live in the gray space. So I'm not black and white as in I can never work out or I can never eat healthy foods. It's not as simple as that. It's just truly leaning into what is my intention and what serves me and my body and, and how can I live that way instead of by a set of external conditions that don't really, you know, make sense for my life and my way of living. Absolutely. And what you're just talking about there, you know, like living in that gray space is you're really living in the middle of this like dichotomy that we have, I think, in our society, right? Of like, push hard, diet culture, all of this sort of stuff versus like, do nothing, right? And I think 
what you are talking about here is you are putting yourself in a place of sustainability, right? Where I feel like when we find ourselves in both ends of this extreme, that's where, you know, we get the yo-yo dieting. That's where we get, you know, a lot of these other things with like weight gaining, right? After engaging in a diet. And so living life in that gray area or that middle ground and middle space, I think really sets people up for success because you're not putting restrictions on whatever it is. You're cognizant of, okay, here's what it can be like to be on this end. Here's what it can be like to be on that end. I know it's not what's best for me to be all the way on this end or that end, but somewhere in the middle and being able to still embrace both parts while not going full blown out is what's going to serve me the best. Yes, exactly. And what I think is so beautiful about recovery is often, you know, I personally do believe in the set point weight theory and I don't know my weight. I will never know my weight again because it's just nothing that it, you know, I, I just can't, I'm not a numbers person. I, one time my therapist told me that the eating disorder thrives off numbers. And I thought that was the truest thing I'd ever heard in my entire life. So while I don't know my weight, I do know that my weight has been pretty stable for the past, you know, five or six months because my dietitians let me know. And it's nice to know that when your mind is in that sustainable middle area, your body's going to reach that happy place too. Like you're not going to, and and what I'm really trying to do here is debunk that eating disorder fear that you're constantly going to be gaining weight. Because I think that's what so many people fear entry, entering recovery is like, I'm never going to stop gaining weight. Like food freedom means like constant weight gain. And it's like, no, the point of food freedom is to trust your body and know that it can handle whatever you give it. And it's probably going to stay in the same range. You know, it doesn't mean it's going to be the perfectly exact decimal point weight for the rest of your life, but it'll be in a healthy place where you can sustain a happy, you know, healthy life. So that's what I've found. Yes, 100%. Would you be willing just to describe what set point theory is really quickly for listeners if they're not familiar with it? Yeah. So set point theory is essentially the idea that like your body has an ideal weight that it wants to be at. And so it's somewhere between typically an eating disorder recovery. They'll say, what is your lowest weight and what's your highest weight? And your set point weight is typically for most people somewhere in between that. And when you do reach that weight, usually your body stays around it. That's not to say again, it's not going to be a decimal point, you know, but it is going to be, you know, pretty close to a certain number. And when I think of set point weight, I usually think of like those dads who are like, well, I've been this weight since I was 30 years old. And I'm like, low key, you're a good example of set point weight. Like it's true. My dad's been the same weight, like for most of his adult life. And I think it's because he has a really amazing relationship with food in his body. So I think that's the best way to explain it. Yeah, that's a beautiful explanation of it. And, um, you know, I truly believe that too. I don't, really weigh myself either just because once again numbers and whatnot i know that's a very unhealthy territory for me to be in um but yeah i think also if we're coming back to the space of embodiment like when you are in your natural set point weight that's the most connected you feel to your body i believe right because you're honoring its hunger cues you're listening to it um and so i feel like those that find themselves in that kind of set point weight, I would like to think have a pretty good um, connection with both body and mind. But once again, I hear myself saying that, and I'm kind of falling into this 
stereotype, right, of those that struggle with an eating disorder are underweight, where that's not true at all. It's, it's, it is for some, but not for all. And so it's interesting, even when I engage in conversations with people on this podcast to even hear those little nuggets slip in of like, oh my gosh, I am reinforcing this, this untrue stereotype about and myths about eating disorders. No, I think that's, yeah, no, that's really interesting. And, and sometimes to be honest with things like set point weight, I almost see them as tools that we use to communicate to people struggling with eating disorders who just can't, they can't kind of comprehend it in a different way. Like we almost need that scientific information to be like, reassure me. So I think I always say like, take what works for you in recovery and leave what doesn't. So if set point theory works for you in your personal recovery journey and having that is something that you put your faith in and you believe in, go for it. If you're like, hey, that's not me, that's not my eating disorder, you're still valid. You know, I'm just offering one thing from someone who had a a restrictive eating disorder and was underweight in the past, something that worked for me. But I think that in no way should invalidate your own experience. And if you you are struggling mentally with an eating disorder, that is equally valid. Because I, I always say you're allowed to struggle at any weight. It's it's a mental illness. It's not a physical one. Yeah, absolutely. I want to capture a couple of words that you said and tie it into something that you know you had shared via social media, and I reached out and messaged you. But you said the word reassurance when we were talking kind of about set point theory, and you had shared on your story one day. Um, you know, something about OCD. And I know OCD really latches on to that need for reassurance. Um, And so I'm just curious, you know, as you find yourself in the space of recovery, you know, what role does reassurance play for you? This is such a good question. And for those who struggle with OCD, I mean, let me tell you, I still struggle with it. So I'd, I'd say I've got my ED under pretty good control, but my OCD just kind of does its own thing. So I would say the big thing when you're struggling with with OCD and an eating disorder or that need for reassurance in general is is you can't give into the reassurance. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but for me, it's like, and this is how the reassurance kind of registers, right? So it's feeling fat, even though feeling fat's not a feeling. I have to body check in the mirror or I have to ask my mom, do I look fat? Like those are methods of reassurance, whether it's like visual reassurance or verbal reassurance from someone in our support system. And as much as we want to do that, to get that reassurance, to know that we are safe and everything's okay, that's actually kind of fueling this toxic cycle of the eating disorder because that that voice, that eating disorder voice is the one who told you you looked fat. That's not your authentic self. So really, you're just giving more fuel to the fire of the eating disorder. And the second you think you look fat again in the future, what are you going to do? Ask for reassurance. And so it's just opening up this space for more of the eating disorder to fuel that toxic fire. And so I think my go-to is always just sit in the discomfort of not getting reassurance. <laughs> like sit in that feeling of, wow, this is so freaking uncomfortable and I hate it, but I'm not going to ask anyone to reassure me because I know that's how I grow. Absolutely. You took the words right out of my mouth. I was just going to talk about, I think a lot of being in recovery and a lot of struggling with OCD is sitting in and dealing with that uncertainty. And it's so flipping uncomfortable because the OCD mind just 
it needs that validation right away, right? And if it doesn't, you're going to continue to just ruminate and ruminate and ruminate and ruminate on whatever it is until you find that reassurance. And I think, you know, it's in recovery where we learn those skills to help us sit with that discomfort, right? Of like, okay, we're at a meal time and I am finding myself triggered. Okay. I can't just not eat and provide my eating disorder voice reassurance of it telling me not to eat, right? And to feed and, and to listen to that. But what other tools do I have to help me sit with that uncertainty and not only sit with it, but hopefully make it a little less emotionally heightening for you as you're experiencing it? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And and I think for me, some of those tools, I think mantras are amazing. I think if you find ones that aren't cheesy, you know, the, re- the typical recovery is worth it. Recovery is possible. I mean, we say that a lot and it's true, but like the, it gets cheesy at some point. You know what I mean? So it's finding something that really speaks to you. I think for me, repeating every single time I was uncomfortable, discomfort is growth almost like turned a switch in my brain because I was like, it turned the negative moment of discomfort into, wait, this is amazing. I'm growing as a human. I'm growing away from my eating disorder and towards my authentic self. That's awesome. And so using mantras like that really helped me just like really tune into, I don't know, like like reframe that moment into like, this is an opportunity for something good to happen. It doesn't have to be an unsafe moment. Um, And I think too, just what you said with like, I, I think I even kind of tune into like, is this, is what I'm doing sustainable? I know you talked about the sustainability piece a little bit earlier, and I actually really like that because I think that dictates a lot of the things that I do day to day. Like I'm like, if I'm sitting and I have this intrusive thought that like I have to get up and do laundry because it's going to burn calories. Well, Tori, is that like a sustainable way of thinking? Do you want to live the rest of your life worrying about getting up and doing the laundry to burn extra calories? Are you going to want to do that tomorrow and the next day and the next day? It's almost like visualizing that future self and who you want to be and like living that out today, if that makes sense. So like my future self is like doesn't care about calorie counting or burning or any of that at all. And so I'm going to live for her today. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, just the statement that you said right there too, or like that example you just gave too of like, oh my gosh, I need to go do laundry to burn extra calories. Like, I don't think people realize that those are the types of thoughts that we can have when we struggle with an eating disorder. Like the... Thoughts can be so silly, like once you say them out loud, but like, it is so true. Like those are the types of thoughts that just flip and run through our mind every single day for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, if not the entire day, it is that mind that controls our every single step and move, every single bite of food we take, every single step we take, everything, the eating disorder voice takes complete control over ourselves. And I think I just wanted to, your comment right there just really made me want to point out that part of like, I truly don't think people understand how mentally exhausting it can be to live with an eating disorder. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's, it, it's so mentally exhausting. And, and I'm really grateful that I almost not have that mute button, but it, the voice feels very much farther than it used to, you know, it doesn't dictate my actions anymore. But I think it's almost like, 
it's tough as well to be living with an active eating disorder because you're almost praised by society for doing these things. Like I remember when I used to be super active in my eating disorder and have an Apple watch and I would try to hit a step count and I would read articles that said, well, park farther away from the grocery store to get those extra steps in. Use the stairs instead of the elevator. Do laundry or do the dishes when you're at home in between work calls. And for the normal person who, you know, can do those things without being obsessive, sure, maybe that's healthy for them, potentially. But for me, like, absolutely not. I kid you not, like, some some days, just even now, like, I'll just force myself, sit in this chair for three hours because the world is not going to end. And you're going to get a lot of amazing work done and you're going to be productive. So I think to those people as well, I do just want to say, because I, I don't like to just throw out things and then not say something positive or leave a tip after. I would say for those people who have those urges that they always have to be moving, always have to be doing something, put that energy towards another way of being productive. You know, long term, do we want you to have a pro productivity mentality? No. But in the short term, you know, read a book, do something on your laptop, be, do something that brings you a sense of accomplishment because that can almost give you the same, you know, dopamine hit in a way is like doing those extra activities would. Mm -hmm. Well, and that too, if you were to engage in those activities, that's very impulsive. And that's something that the eating disorder voice wants you to latch on to. So once again, choosing to not engage once I feel like we're going back to this concept of being able to sit with discomfort and um, just that skill and the awareness, right? It can become very second nature for us to engage and follow and go through the motions of, you know, for example, needing to get X amount of steps in per day. I don't want to get into particular behaviors in general, but it's so easy for us once that has become such a part of our daily rituals of when we lived with our eating disorder to try and find its way back in and for it to become a ritual once again. So I think it's, we're tying, we keep coming back to these notions of awareness and sitting with discomfort. And I think those are two key things that really kind of help set you up to enter into recovery in a more grounded and centered place. Agreed. I completely agree. I'm curious to know what are some of the biggest things that you have learned being in recovery yourself? Mm, that's such a good question. I would say, to be honest, recovery really doesn't have to do with food or your body. And I know that sounds really crazy because we're talking about eating disorders, but about, you know, maybe a fourth of it is about food in your body, maybe less. Um, but most of it is truly about other things. You know, an eating disorder is almost a symptom of something deeper that's going on. So for me, um, I know I talked briefly, I, you know, I do have some childhood trauma, some OCD, generalized anxiety, and that is pretty typical with people who have eating disorders. Um, I think I saw, I always try to check different, you know, statistics and research and stuff just to stay uh, aware. And I think I saw upwards of like 70% of people with an eating disorder have like anxiety or depression. And I think that's just important information to know, because it goes back to what we said about like, it's not like a weight thing. It's not a body or food thing. And like, if you're treating that, like, you know, you're not getting to a lot of the deeper issues. And so a lot of what I've done in my own work is healing 
my inner child. And that's become such a buzzword, but it truly is like healing my inner child and doing, you know, EMDR, which is trauma therapy and finding healthy ways to cope with anxiety, um, to sit in the discomfort, like we were talking about to, to cope with like just day-to-day stressful situations. You know, I, I often say that I think everyone kind of has different ways of registering stress. And I think sometimes for people who struggled with an eating disorder, your ED is just another way that you're kind of registering that stress or anxiety. And it's not, I've, I've definitely learned it's not something I have to judge myself for. It's something I have to get curious about. And so when I was deep in my ED, it was constant judgment, like around food and body, but also around myself and my self-worth. I'm not good enough. I'm not doing things enough. And instead, I've really flipped the the script in recovery and been like, okay, how am I learning from this? How can I get curious in this situation? How am I growing? Um, and just asking more of those questions. So I think that's kind of why I chose Grow With Tori for my recovery blog and everything, because it really, recovery has opened me up to the idea that life doesn't have a destination. We're constantly growing and evolving as humans. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. That landed really softly with me. And that was just a really beautiful explanation of how, you know, this mantra of discomfort is growth has really resonated with you and has really influenced a lot of the work that you are doing now um, today. And I think, you know, as you were talking here, there are a couple of things where, you know, I never once classified myself as living with an eating disorder when I had an eating disorder. And, you know, as I entered into this space of recovery and learned that I lived with an eating disorder and Googled it, I didn't realize eating disorders are mental health disorders. And so, you know, it makes sense. And you're right with that statistic. It's like 70 or 72% of those that are struggling with an eating disorder also have a co-occurring mental health or mood disorder, such as general, generalized anxiety or depression. Um, and, you know, I really resonate with that too, where, you know, for me personally, I was really struggling with my sexuality at that time. And I also had anxiety. I also had depression. And so it's so multifaceted where it's not just one thing that contributes to the onset of your eating disorder. It's all of these things that are coming together. And it's just that one thing, whatever that one thing is that just kind of puts you over that tipping point and into that space of living with an eating disorder. And so I just really wanted to highlight, you know, your narrative there too, of sharing your experience with living with uh, generalized anxiety and depression, and that kind of that tandemness with living with an eating disorder as well. Yeah. And, and I like what you said, because a lot of people, and I didn't even learn this until I was in recovery, you know, but I don't think people talk about the fact that it is like, there is a genetic component. And the most recent research is showing that genetics plays a massive role in whether you develop an eating disorder or not. Um, whether, you know, it's a dormant or a recessive gene, it doesn't mean you have to have someone directly related to you who had an eating disorder, but sometimes the genes just match up and, and you're delivered that. And what's interesting is it's not just genetic, but it is environmental. It often a trigger, you know, for me, it, it was almost a combination of, of an abuse. And then later in life, having an injury when I quit my sport that kind of 
perfectly aligned for me to have an eating disorder. And so I think what's really helpful, even in your own recovery journey, is maybe just flushing out like what was that trigger for you? Because sometimes that can get to the root of, you know, what, like where where is some of the work that needs to be done or what digging do I need to do? You know, it's just more, I always say like, put away the judge's mallet and kind of get out your binoculars with recovery because that is what's going to be beneficial for you. Like you don't need to judge yourself. That's in the past. Like let's kind of inspect like how do we get to where we are and how are we going to grow in the future? So I love what you said and I just wanted to add that. Yeah. And once again, I feel like we're coming back to this vulnerability component, right? Of like once we enter into that space of recovery and we're able to use our mental energy to do that healing work, that's really when we can start to zoom out a little bit instead of being so zoomed in, right? And being hyper-focused when we're living with our eating disorder and to really begin to become curious about what needs healing because certainly there are things in my past that led to the development of this. And I think the more that we can send love to those spaces, the stronger connection we will have with ourselves. And I truly believe that the stronger connection we have with ourselves, the stronger we will be in recovery. Yeah, that's so beautifully said. And I completely agree. Um, And I think I had a therapist that I continue to work with her. She's amazing. And she's the, the one who kind of introduced me to this idea of like, emotional parts and and parts of your your inner being can experience different things and I just loved that idea that helped me so much and continues to help me in recovery because the idea there is like you can have different parts of yourself you're a complex human so there might be part of yourself that experienced trauma and needs healing there's another part of yourself that you know is so hopeful for the future and is growing there's another part that might be angry, or there's another part that might be sad, you know, and it's like holding space for all of those parts and tending to them as needed and holding on especially tight to those parts that are hopeful and happy and joyful and want to grow because those parts are what got me through the really tough days. Like, and that's why, you know, I even made a journal, um, that I share with my recovery community because, and, and a big part of that journal is that that parts of emotions, like having different emotional parts, because I don't think we can define ourselves by just one emotion. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, I love parts. I do parts work with my current therapist as well. And once again, I think you said it beautifully is, you know, it really is about holding space for all of these different parts of ourselves without judgment. I think that judgment piece is so important because once judgment slips into the picture, that's when the narrative switches. And that's when we start heading the direction that we don't want to be headed when we're in that place of recovery. I am curious to know, what are you most proud of so far in your recovery journey? Um, I would say I'm most proud of probably just the work I put in to rebuild my relationship with exercise. So exercise is something that I don't think we talk about nearly enough in the recovery community. It's such a big focus on food and exercise was a big part of my eating disorder, um, especially just like the need to over exercise, but also those little things like we talked about 
um, just getting up and doing laundry and stuff like that. You know, the day to day outside of the gym things that were exercise for me. And so I put a lot of work into sitting in a ton of discomfort, especially early on in my recovery. I took a little over a month away completely from any form of movement. And for me, who has been an athlete since the time I was 11 years old, that was a really difficult thing. Um, I had always told myself that working out was healthy. But for me, it had gotten to a place where it genuinely wasn't healthy. Um, and it wasn't, you know, my body was fighting against me with injuries and, and messed up hormones and not having a period and all of that. But I think even worse than that was just the need, my brain kind of telling me that I always needed to be actively doing something. And it honestly was mentally exhausting. Um, so I'm just kind of proud of myself. I never actually thought I would get to where I am, to be honest. Like, I get kind of like a little bit emotional thinking about it because I truly remember feeling like there was no hope, things could never get better, and like just kind of wanting it to all end. Um, after five years of going through something like this, you really don't think it can get better. And I was shocked that treatment was working for me. And so, especially with that the exercise piece, I think just that being such a big part of my identity, it's nice that I don't just identify by that anymore. Like, I'm just proud of myself for, you know, it's a part of me still, it's still something I do, but it's not all of me. And it's not what defines my worth. Mm. Thanks so much for sharing. I, I just love hearing other people say kind things about themselves, right? Because being in recovery isn't easy. And, you know, I also live with an eating disorder for an extended period of time and you hit the nail on the head where, you know, after struggling with something so mentally taxing and physically taxing for so long, you're like, how am I ever going to get out of this? And once again, I just really want to commend you for all of the hard work that you've put into, you know, being in this place of recovery, because it's hard, it is hard. And I don't think enough people understand just how challenging entering into a space of recovery is. And so I hope, and, I, and I'm hearing this from you, is that you feel very empowered about all of the work that you've put into your recovery and to use that as fuel to keep moving forward. Yeah, thank you. And, and honestly, saying it out loud, I think is something I need to do more because so quickly, like you talked about, our brains slip back into that judgmental framework. And so often, I was even talking to my therapist today, it's that perfectionistic piece. And, you know, my OCD feeds on that where it's like, but I'm not the perfect recovery advocate, you know, so much because of my platform. Um, I put so much pressure on myself. Like I just want to not appear a certain way. I've never worried about appearances, but I want to be a genuinely good mental health advocate for people, um, especially for the young people that follow me. Um, and so I, it's something that my OCD clings onto and has me worrying about often. And so I think it's nice what you said, just kind of empowering myself by speaking my progress aloud can be a really helpful tool. So thanks for having me do that because I think it kind of flipped a switch for me too. Yeah. And, you know, I did this self-love challenge, I think two years ago. Um, but part of this self-love challenge was creating a list of affirmations. And so what I did is I wrote out a list of, I think, five affirmations. I made it look pretty on Canva. I printed it out, put it in a nice looking picture frame and hung it up in my bathroom. And for the first 
couple of weeks, every time I stepped in the bathroom in the morning and was getting ready for the day, I made myself say these affirmations out loud. Um, and the last one is you are enough. And I think that one is always so powerful for me to end on. And once again, that's quite a cliche mantra or affirmation. But for me, I think in this journey that I've been on, not only in recovery, but in my own personal life, to hear myself say that out loud, it hits differently. And you just, you had just mentioned that as well for you. But there's so much power when we can put our words that are up into our mind out into the universe, because it forces us to actually put those into tangible phrases and sentences into something that makes sense. Um, and so I don't know why I felt called to share that, but I think it's that piece that you had just spoken right there at the end of like, wow, I do feel empowered after saying that. And I think we need to be comfortable saying kind things to ourselves, right? And I think when we live with an eating disorder, we are so used to bashing ourselves every single day. But when we can be in this space of recovery, we have much greater mental capacity to offer ourselves that self-compassion and to, you know, provide ourselves the validation and empowering that we need to be in recovery as well. Yeah, I love that. And I'm honestly going to use your tool too. I love that idea of putting it on the mirror. Um, Cause that's just, that's kind of the place you need it the most, to be honest, <laughs> when you first kind of wake up sometimes. So I love that. And the idea that you can say those affirmations and it have nothing to do with, you know, how you look or, you know, what you ate that day, I think is what's really important. And even with the verbalizing, I love the idea of the, what you said, the words have power. And even sometimes when that ED voice is loud, yelling at it out loud, like saying something against it, like Edie, I'm not going to listen to you. Keep going, Tori, or whatever it is, you know, whoever's struggling. I think, I think that's a good idea, even for people earlier on in their recovery journeys of like, just tell the eating disorder to F it like out loud. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So now that we're kind of entering into that space. And before we end our time here together, if you would have any pieces of advice or words of wisdom for those that are currently struggling with an eating disorder or are in this place of recovery, um, what would those words be? Yeah, the first thing is get support. I don't think recovery can happen in a vacuum. And I, and that doesn't have to look like the typical, you know, I have a therapist, dietitian, or I go to a treatment facility. Not everyone has those resources and that's okay. Maybe for you, support looks like finally reaching out to that one friend that you've been wanting to tell about your eating disorder for months now, but you've been too nervous or finally listening to that podcast or getting that book, you know, whatever little thing you can do to get support, do it. And then I think the second thing is just knowing in life, not just in recovery, your feelings are not true. Like feelings aren't truth. And I think I have to repeat that to myself often in recovery because your eating disorder is probably going to make you feel like shit a lot of times. <laughs> um, it's probably going to tell you that you're doing, make you feel that you're doing things wrong and it's going to make you feel extremely uncomfortable. But that doesn't mean that the reality of the situation is that you're doing anything wrong. And 
and the thing that you think that your eating disorder is telling you is so bad is probably the thing that's helping you the most in your journey. And so I think just keeping those two things in mind, support and feelings aren't truth, has helped me so much. Mm, Yeah, I love that. Um, Especially that last part too of like feelings aren't truth. That is so true, I feel like, because so often... I feel like the emotions that we experience are actually the ED's emotions and they're not ours. Um, and so it's once again, I love that you are, you know, providing these words of wisdom of like, be curious. And you had mentioned that earlier too, of like, be curious when you are, you have these feelings arise, right? You don't have to necessarily believe them right away. Be curious, get comfortable with it, you know, maybe go up and, see if you can like poke it and see if you have a response, right? And I think just if we can frame it in that way and have it not be so scary, I think that definitely would help, you know, navigating those more intense moments a lot easier. Yeah, I I love that. And I think as you were talking, it just made me think about too, because you've had so many good, you know, one-liners and and talking to me today, so I appreciate it. But um just the idea that recovery too is a process. It's not a destination. So, so this getting curious, that is a great life practice. That's something that you can use not just in your recovery journey, but in day-to-day life. Because honestly, guys, like you said, Eric, recovery is like life now, you know, you're, you're, it's not going to be the center of your life or the focus of your life. But from here on out, you know, recovery is going to be a part of your life. It's not something that you can achieve. It's just something that you have to naturally or sometimes unnaturally choose every single day. And so I think don't use that as something that demotivates you, but use it as something that kind of takes the pressure off. Like it's not, sometimes I have to tell myself, Tori, it's not that deep. You're doing the best you can (laughs) get curious. Like your, your mind is blowing this out of proportion. So I think that just kind of some of the things you were saying reminded me to tell people that because, you know, how I got to my lowest place even was just blowing things out of proportion. And I think so much of recovery has been, you know, this is life. Life's hard (laughs) and we're doing the best with what we can. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I love that too, of like, there is no end point. And that's the truth, like outside of the space of eating disorder recovery too, right? Like we are always constantly growing and evolving and learning as human beings. And whenever we continue to learn more, our destination continues to shift and change. And I think the same is true in recovery, right? Like we think we are going to get to a certain point, but by the time we get there, we've learned and developed so much where you know, where we thought we would initially get with like being okay around food, you know, now we're to the point where we don't think about food six out of the seven days of the week, right? And so it's just, it's this thing that's going to constantly evolve and, you know, shift its form. And, you know, that might happen too, even if you have a bad day, right? And I think taking a step backwards, your destination might shift, but know that eventually you're, it's going to shift it once again. And so not having it be this definitive endpoint, I really, really, really love that point you just brought up. Yeah, that's really well said. And I love even, you know, going backwards is never actually going backwards. Like just in 
in general, like time moves forward. So the only one telling you that you're going backwards is, is yourself. And it, it's the eating disorder because it wants you to think that to get you to spiral again. And so just even that, I, I think if we, you know, I, I feel like we're wrapping up here, but even that word, I love what you said with awareness, just being aware what are situations where the eating disorder is actually trying to take advantage of you and spiral you back into a place that, you know, isn't meant for you. And then what are areas of awareness that you can have where, you know, you need to give yourself some more credit or you need to be more curious and you need to maybe not take things as deeply. So yeah, I just, I love that theme and that word of awareness. I think it's a great word in general for recovery that people kind of need to embrace more because, you know, I, I just think sometimes we, it, it's a serious topic and it's an important, it's an important thing, but it's not, it's not as deep as we make it sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this is the perfect segue into my final question for you tonight, but you just mentioned the word embrace and the title of this podcast is embracing you. So how has your journey of living with an eating disorder and your own journey of being in recovery allowed you to embrace yourself? I love this question. I think before I always identified myself by one thing. When I was really good at school, I was an academic, then I quickly shifted over to athletics. So I was an athlete. When athletics ended, I didn't know what to identify myself as. And so I identified myself as my eating disorder. Recovery's just given me this like amazingly beautiful thing where I realized that I don't have to be like anything. Like I am too complex of a human being to be shoved into a box. And my like multifaceted, beautiful self deserves to, to identify in so many different ways. There's so many parts of me that exist and so many passions that I have. And so I think it's embracing the fullness and the multifacetedness of myself. That's been the most like freeing thing in recovery. Um, so yeah, I think that's my answer. <laughs> I love that. And I truly believe that you know, the road to recovery is the road back to your true self or the road to your true self, I should say. Um, because as you had just mentioned, you come to learn that you are much more than staying inside of one box and having one thing to find who you are. And you become reconnected with yourself in a completely new and inspiring and empowering way. And so I just, I love your response to that question. I think you it so beautifully, I think, reflects our entire conversation with one another as well of, you know, this whole thing is a journey and being in recovery, you are able to establish that new relationship with yourself that's so freeing. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you, like I said, you have so many nuggets in this conversation. I'm like, I can see how you're such a good recovery coach because you just have so many little nuggets of info. I'm like, ah, oh, I got to write that down. <laughs> well, Tori, I want to thank you so much for all of your time and your beautiful insight and all of the things that you were able to share with us today. And um, I so incredibly look forward to continuing to have these conversations with you um, and being in this space with one another. So um, listeners, be on the lookout for some future episodes featuring um, Tori. But once again, thank you again, Tori, for all of your time uh, and words of wisdom that you were able to give us today. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. And I cannot wait to be back in the future too. I think there's going to be some great conversation 
hopefully not just, you know, for awareness, but also for providing people with some tips they can use in their own journeys. So thanks again. Once again, I would like to thank Tori for her time and her words of wisdom that she shared with all of us on the podcast episode today. If you're interested in giving her a follow, be sure to check out the show notes um, and there you can find her Instagram handle. So until next time, I hope that you are able to absorb some of these words of wisdom that were imparted upon you today. I hope that you take the time to trust yourself in this journey we call life. And most importantly, send yourself love and compassion each and every day because you're worth it. Much love.